Welcome to Transforming Education Leadership Lessons. This podcast is hosted by Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa, and brings you thought leaders who are inspiring and influencing education today. You can subscribe to this podcast to help you discover the influential and inspirational leadership qualities that will help you become a transformational leader. Use their experiences to help you transform, influence, and inspire. My name is Gary Richardson, Director of the Principal Endorsement Program and Instructor in the Education Department at Northwestern College, and I will be your host. Thanks for listening and spending some time with us today. This episode, we will be discussing leadership lessons with the ninth president of Northwestern College, Mr. Greg Christie. Before coming to Northwestern in 2008, President Christie was a senior executive at Dakota Wesleyan University in Mitchell, South Dakota, for 12 years. While Dakota Wesleyan's vice president for institutional advancement, Greg led a nine-member staff in the successful completion of a $40 million capital campaign, which included building the George and Eleanor McGovern Library and Center for Leadership and Public Service. Greg previously worked on the staffs of South Dakota State University and Iowa State University. From personal experience, I know President Christie has a collaborative, team-oriented leadership style, warm relational skills, a strong Christian faith, and the ability to engage others with his distributive leadership approach. Greg has developed new strategic and campus master plans and adopted new mission, vision, diversity, and Christian identity statements while adding a number of academic majors and launching online and graduate programs. Several campus improvements have been made during President Christie's tenure, including construction of the $24.5 million Jack and Mary DeWitt Family Science Center in the fall of 2018 and the $14 million Jack and Mary DeWitt Learning Commons in 2013, renovations in the Roanhorse Student Center, Cafeteria, and Raymaker Center, construction of the Yuffer Athletic Fieldhouse, and North Suites Hall. Welcome to the podcast, Greg. Thanks, Gary. It's a pleasure to be here today. Our first podcast was with Ron Yuffer, who is a Chicago Cubs fan, and I know that you are a Cardinals fan. Both are battling for the top spot in the Central Division. Do you have any rebuttal to Dr. Yuffer? Well, I love Yuff, of course, and I love the fact that he still comes to the office almost every day. So it's not unusual for us to meet in the parking lot and talk a little baseball at the start of the sure. day. But he's the most gracious Cubs fan I've ever met. So he's, I don't know about those those Cardinals that are coming. I don't know, Greg. So my, I don't have any rebuttal to offer, but uh, it's a great race. And it looks like to me it's going to come down to who can play the best against the division foes because they're just beating up on each other. Yeah, it's a brutal division, and, and Dr. Yuffer can slow play you to death. I know that's that. exactly but, right. That's what we're hoping for as <laughs> Cubs fans, I guess. So, um, I follow you on Twitter at NWC underscore PGC, and your bio states that you are a Christ follower, mission-driven, husband, father, son, brother, and friend. And I can attest from reading those tweets that those things are reflected so I have one observation and one question for you, and my observation is that your tweets are consistent in how you show gratitude to the many people at Northwestern. I personally appreciate reading those, but wonder what inspires you, Greg, to take this approach? I've been blessed to have a number of mentors. Some of those have been teachers, some of those have been coaches, family members, but a few in particular, I, I just have been blessed to be around great people. And also read a lot about leadership and those kind of things maybe we talk about later. But one of the phrases that comes to mind is Ken Blanchard wrote a book and talks about feedback being the breakfast of champions. Sure. And that uh, everybody thrives on feedback. No feedback is almost the worst thing you can do. 
but I, I, I'm, a, I'm a positive believer in catching people right, doing something right and telling them about it. Sometimes there's times where you need to you know, redirect and coach someone, but I think uh, catching people doing something right and telling them about it is a powerful thing. Yeah, it was interesting. I had a conversation with someone that works on campus here just this last week and had mentioned that every contract they've gotten from you, there's always a personal note. I said, oh, well, I thought he only did that for me. But uh, <laughs> I know that you do that for everybody, and, and I think that's great. And well, I, that, that, that came from a mentor of mine too, John Greller, you know, who we lost this, uh, this past spring. Mm-hmm was our longtime VP for advancement, but uh, I came here, actually I came, my first trip to Northwestern was in 1995 when I first started Dakota Wesleyan and I was 27 years old and looking to figure out how in the world do I do this thing called advancement. Traveled around, but John was the person I, I came to visit Northwestern College when, okay. they were, when they were in the old wrestling room Yeah. when, when the uh, theater was be, being uh, reconstructed or the athletic facility was being transformed uh-huh. and Zwamer was actually being uh, redone at that time. I'll never forget one of the things he said to me is, you know, the power of personal handwritten notes. And so that's something I actually learned from John. Yeah. My question then is that you indicate a focus on being mission driven. Can you expand on this for the people that are listening? And what does mission driven look like to you? It's one of the things I, uh, I believe firmly that we live in a busy, noisy world. We have to be reminded again and again and again, of, you know, keep the main thing, the main thing. And I think that one of the things I've tried to do is it's easy to get caught up in your job, in your department, those tasks that you have before you that day, but trying to always tie that back to what's the big picture here? Mm-hmm. What are we really all about at Northwestern College? Which is, that's the main thing. So sometimes ad nauseum, I will constantly remind people of the mission. And you've probably heard that if you've come to the State of the College or other addresses that I do. I think it's about casting a vision, it's about you know clarifying values, and then it's about reminding people constantly of the mission because ultimately everything we do on campus, whether, whether it's someone in the maintenance department or it's someone teaching in the classroom or if it's a coach, uh, it, it should tie back to our mission of impacting students for the cause of Christ. Really important for all systems to listen to that. That's the shared vision and repeating and being consistent makes organizations thrive and successful. We're visiting with Mr. Greg Christie, president of Northwestern College, in this episode of Transforming Education Leadership Lessons. As is stated above, Greg, you have overseen many new initiatives and projects since you came in 2008. What do you wish you had known when you started in this job in 2008? I wish I'd known the market was going to crash in October of 2008. (laughs) I forgot about that. <laughs> because uh, that changed everything, uh-huh. literally. I mean, I think everything that's happened since then, I, everything's a little bit of a big term, but that changed the face of higher education and particularly private higher education. The combination of the, the market crash and the housing bubble burst, those two items, for the first time in decades, the question of is higher education and specifically is private higher education worth the investment, that was never part of the conversation most of the time. And now it's a part of almost every conversation we have with prospective students and families. The reality is a four-year private education is not for every student. I'm for two-year education. I'm for four-year public education. I obviously believe in private education. I'm I'm really passionate about four-year private Christian higher education. Mm -hmm. I think uh, actually the the truth is you can't afford not to be an educated person in the society we live in and the kind of jobs that are going to be demanded in the next decades, many of which haven't been developed yet. Interesting. In the last year, the college has gone through a strategic planning process, recognizing that there are considerable challenges facing institutions like Northwestern. 
What are you curious about right now in the area of higher education? Kind of piggybacking on that topic is somewhat like healthcare and the changes that we've seen happen in our healthcare industry. I think higher education is now at that tipping point a little bit of the value proposition and so much of its education as well. It's it's not necessarily that education has become out of reach for so many people, but the the sticker shock, especially of private institutions, sometimes how many students are not looking at us just because of the the sticker shock of what the cost looks like, even though we don't have one person on this campus who attends Northwestern who pays the full amount. We have institutional right. scholarships available. You know, there's there's so much. The financing of higher education is such a we've made it so complex, and this has been a decades long thing. This is not a new thing, but how do we help families and prospective students? Uh, um, understand that that they can actually in many cases students can actually come to Northwestern get a great education for less than or close to what they can get at a public institution because we can do it in less time smaller class sizes greater attention from full-time professors and that value proposition is has been harder and harder to make with families part of leadership is inspiring and influencing and along the way we've all had a few clunkers what is something that you failed at uh, that list is too long to actually <laughs> for the time we have today. Uh, I would say since I've been here, we really looked. In fact, in my first year, I actually made a trip to China at the end of the first year I was here, and we we were we had an alum over there, and we we really were looking seriously. Obviously, there's a, there's a lot of growth happening. There's more and more. I just book I just read recently about the the amount of foreign students have how that's increased since 2010. And we saw that coming and thought that there might be some ways for us to do that. I think we we just had so much to learn, and so we had to pull the plug on that initiative. But I still think there's tremendous opportunity in certain parts of the world, but especially places like China and India where, where they're desperate for education. Absolutely. And I think with now that we have a strong and growing online program and graduate programs, I'm hopeful that that's, that's a market that we could tap into in the future better than we have. But the initial opportunity that I tried to try to lead us in when, in my first year, it didn't work. It failed. But we learned some things. And I think that's the main thing about failing is if you never have any failures, you're probably not trying enough things either. Right. And in this era of growth mindset, I think it's anticipated and expected that there are some failures because information flows so quickly that you have to be able to try to keep up. Right. And it's not scripted anymore. Exactly. It's, you're trying to react to all of those stimuli that are out there, and some are accurate and some are not. So trying is something that needs to be done, but also you have the opportunity to fail. But I do think that we grow in that way, and there's always processes involved. So I appreciate that story. Thank mm -hmm. you. One of the goals, Greg, of this podcast is to provide listeners with thoughts or ideas that help them as they lead students, staff, or administrators. You work with leaders locally and nationally. What are the leadership qualities that you have seen through the years and those that you would consider effective leaders? Personally, I think all of us become who we are based on the people who've influenced us. Like I said earlier, I've been, I feel fortunate to have been around a lot of really good leaders. We can all think of people we've watched or observed or worked with or for we see the good things we'd like to emulate and we see some things that maybe we'd say I don't really want to do it right. that way but I think some of those some of those main qualities are I think number one is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care 
to me, that's one of the biggest things for a leader is to really having an open door policy, trying to really connect with people at every level of the organization on a regular basis, not a once a year type of thing, but being accessible to people and really trying to understand how or what would, as, as a higher education institution, the rubber hits the road in the classroom and in the co-curricular spaces on campus. And so trying to stay connected to those folks who are on the front lines of delivering our education. Uh, it'd be really easy for me to sit up in Zwemer Hall on the second floor and think that I know what's going on, but the reality is there's a lot more people who know a lot more about what's really happening at the college than I do. So I try to get out and about and move around the campus and be involved in our, in our students' lives, and that's where you learn the most about what's really going on. But I think it starts with trying to instill that value of not in, a, not in a false way, but in a real true sense. I care about not just what you can do for this college, but I, just, I care about you personally. Mm-hmm. Building relationships is really important. Listening is really important. All that takes, and we've talked about it on this podcast before, investment of time. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that through the senior dinners you have or lunches you have at the end of the year where everybody's invited, Christmas things that you preside over, not somebody else, I think are pretty special. Think of our governor. I think of our Department of Ed director, Ryan Weiss, which we'll have on the program in a, in a few weeks. How they get around the state Mm-hmm. And they're somewhere three, four times a week. And I'm, I'm always thinking, don't they have work they do? Where do they do that work mm-hmm. when they're traveling and they're meeting people? But I think that's the new era of leadership is that investing, which means as the leader, you have to get out. Right. And you do right. that really well. And I know that more than just myself, appreciate that. Well, Peter Drucker, I believe it was you know, one, of the, one, of the, one of the real gurus in terms of leadership you know he's called it management by wandering around yes and so that's i read that early on and some of my and took that to heart and so that's kind of part of where that comes from yeah very good well greg you and i have had our lives interrupted a bit with spouses and breast cancer we are not going to be able to tell those tough women anything about how they deal but i think both of our experiences are that both people in our lives really tried to change the narrative of breast cancer as opposed to I'm afflicted, woe is me, which you can hear. How do I go through this and be dignified and be spiritual in my approach and uh, try to bring those along, whether it be the nurses, the doctors, the people in the hospitals, those that just pray for the well-being. That's really powerful. And as I said before, we can't tell those people anything. We we are not going to experience that. As men, not only in leadership positions, but what's your reaction to how we handle those things? Do we have a responsibility to, to lead in that area? Well, that's a great question, Gary. And that's, that's, uh, obviously both of our lives have been dramatically impacted in that way. For us, you know, we, we had just finished our first year here. I'd just gotten back from that trip from China, honestly. Mm-hmm. It was during the time I was gone, Michelle first had an inkling that something wasn't right. And then January, we, we had talked about, okay, we've been here a year. We're going to settle in now. And then January 5th of 2009, we learned, we, we sit across from a doctor and hear those words, you have cancer. And mm-hmm. there's nothing that can prepare you for that. In an odd sort of way, I think for Michelle and me, it's probably one of the hardest, obviously the hardest thing we've ever gone through. And yet also some of the best times in our relationship in terms of just 
cancer, it doesn't matter what your status is in life, what, you, what the color of your skin is, socioeconomics, right. anything. It just affects all of us and so many people. And that's the thing we saw was how many people. It opened our eyes to how many people deal with cancer. So how, how to lead in that way, I mean, I think it was, you know, obviously my, I saw my, my primary role of being, how do I support my wife in this? You know, she really, and some of the folks who were sitting here with us today were intimately involved. I know, I mean, the first thing Michelle's saying was, you know, why, why couldn't this have happened when we were living back where we were for 12 and a half years, where we had a network of friends and we had all these people in our church. And when you're in, we're just still trying to get to know people. It was amazing the way the the community rallied around us, and she set a goal, and so I just tried I just tried to be supportive of her. However, she felt about going through this, uh, I was going to be there 100 percent to support her. And so for her, she didn't want to hide this. She she you know share we we shared it with everybody on campus, and the outpouring of love and support was amazing. And I'll never forget Mother's Day uh, weekend uh, when the Susan G. Komen has a race on Mother's Day. I don't know if they still do, but they did for a mm-hmm. long time. And we had like team T-shirts made up. They they said Team Michelle at that time. She was a Mellow Yellow drinker, so they were in the logo design of uh, Mellow Yellow. She doesn't. She's nice. no, she's no longer on Mellow Yellow. <laughs> at the time, we had 80, 85 people there, some of whom we didn't even know that well. But it just showed the power, I guess, of when you do open up and and you share your challenges with others. I think most of us are, and most people are, are more than willing to step out and and help. So I think it's. I guess the leadership lesson there would be um, sometimes the leadership, the old adage was, you know, never let them see you sweat. I think just the opposite is true, right. that vulnerability actually builds trust and, and actually helps people see you're just, a, you're just a real person. You're just an everyday person just like everybody else. Right. That's pretty powerful. And I can remember Sue mentioning many times when I would ask, how are you doing? I can feel the power of prayer right through me. And my reaction was always, Really? Then as you move through it, you realize so many people are involved in in praying for your well-being, uh, not only for us, but the prayers that go out to everybody else. We're not the only ones that have been affected by this. There's right. Everybody has a story. Everybody in this room, everybody on campus has a story. What is important is our experiences of changing the narrative through the people that we've seen go through that. The, the, it was an honor for me to watch Sue go through this over right. a long period of time because of the, uh, the dignity and grace of, of which she did it, and that carries on in my children today. Yes. And it puts a, a little more fight in them and independence. And so I just encourage those things that right. you have to let people in and but those things are life lessons that I think we have to share. Maybe that's the point as, yeah, we, absolutely. as we ramble through this. No, maybe ab- that's the point. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I'm present to the fact that our wives had different outcomes. That makes me sad because, you know, your wife unfortunately did not ultimately prevail over that cancer. That, that was our biggest fear. It's right. everybody, I think, probably every, everybody's biggest fear when you hear those words, you have cancer. Like you said, you're so honored and by the way that she handled that. And I would say the same thing about Michelle. We were fortunate in her case to catch it early, and she was able to now. Now she's been declared cancer-free, and we're grateful for that. But we're also mindful that there's so many others who d- didn't have that outcome. And so I think it's it's made us more 
more sensitive. And I think Michelle has really, she's felt an obligation, I think, almost to to share her message with others, uh, you know, and to really, she's a speaker, she's an author. Yes. Primarily, it's, it's about scripture and Bible studies, but that opened up a whole new avenue because it touches so many people cancer does. And so she has been very open and spoken to numerous groups about her own journey and the ups and downs, the all the different range of emotions. It's not, I don't want to give anybody the picture that I or, and she wouldn't want me to either, that we just, we went through this and we just handled this perfectly and we never had a bad day. That's just not true. We, we had bad days. You know, why God? Why did this happen? But then after you've worked through that, it's, it's also, well, um, we also believe everything happens for a reason. I don't believe God gives people cancer. But I believe for some reason we had this opportunity at this time. And Michelle really looked at it that way in terms of, you know, how, how can I use this for good somehow? And I just am so humbled and honored to watch how she did that. I don't know that I could have done that the way that she did. Well, I'm quite sure I couldn't have. The situations are all relative. My children at all give anything to not have had the conclusion. At the same time, they wouldn't be the people that they are today. And that's part of, the, part of the plan. And I'm not saying that there aren't bad days. There are tons of them. But that in itself is, is something that we work through. And, and as I said, it's, it's all relative because back when Sue was going through this, Herceptin was a drug that mm. just came out. It mm-hmm. was in the, it was in the uh, experimental stage. Right. And it wasn't available yet. But she had her eye on that for a couple years. If I can just make it to where that her they, they put Herceptin on the market. I think I'm going to be good. She made it, and Herceptin allowed her to see her kids for mm. five more years mm. than mm. probably would have occurred. Right. And, and so we're all blessed by different things. Again, just sharing those things I think is important. As it is. I think that uh, I, know, I know for Michelle, she just, and for me, I'll never forget the first day we went to chemo uh, in Sioux City. We did that down there, and I remember us making a remark to the to the woman at the desk saying, you know, wow, it's really busy today. And she says, it's like this every day. Right. And, you know, we just, when you, if you're not a part of that, if you haven't had that experience, uh, you haven't been touched by cancer personally, you, you're just not, you're a little blind to that. But that really opened our eyes to just how many people are touched by this. And we can only do small, we only do what we can do and we can't solve everything. But what small part can we play in trying to help others who are trying to, to go through this, to heal from this, and to come out the other side, regardless of the outcome, having become better and uh, instead of bitter. Well said. The angels are the chemo nurses. Mm, absolutely. And, and my respect goes to the oncology doctors that, although they're a doctor and you have an opinion of doctors, they're living this too, and, and I can't imagine how they feel when things don't go well. Exactly, and, exactly. And so these people are uh, a blessing to all of us. Yeah, absolutely. So, Greg, what are you reading right now that might interest our listeners in the area of leadership? The most recent book I've read is Demographics and the Demand for Higher Education. I'm sure that would <laughs> shock you and shock our readers that that's something I'm reading. If, when you say interest your readers, I have to I have to admit that this is not riveting reading uh, and it's uh, not an easy book to get through but you know the demographic changes in our nation the demographic changes in our region in a lot of different areas but also including uh, racially and some of those things are going to dramatically change the face of higher education in the next uh, it's going to happen faster than we think it's already happening 
but I think it's going to happen even even quicker than we think. And if you read this book, this gentleman's he's so we've all heard about the demographics, the nation changing, and right. and, and how America will will become Anglo people will become the minority in, in in America. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that's that is happening. That's going to happen. But how do we respond to that? So our leadership team and I had read through this book and actually discussed it this week on Monday and Tuesday at our uh-huh. retreat. Because we want to be a place, and we have a vision for diversity at the college, we, we believe that Northwestern College should be a place that reflects the full kingdom of God. And that includes every person of every background, every race. And Scripture says that one day every every person, every tribe, every tongue will, will bow before the throne. And so that's how we come at this, uh, not as, yes, it's a change, yes, it's something we've got to react to, but we also see it as an opportunity for at least our college to more fully reflect uh, the diversity of God's kingdom. And so... Uh, it's a scary book to read in some ways in terms of looking at the demographics and saying, you know, what our traditional student has looked like and what our students might look like in the future. Mm-hmm. But we are being proactive about that. We're actually going to – we've been talking about this for more than just this retreat. In fact, we're going to be adding a new position, a Hispanic community liaison that we've actually been advertising for and wow. actually interviewing this week to help us not just for the purposes of recruiting more students from Hispanic or Latino backgrounds – we want to build long-term relationships for the long haul with the Hispanic community and become brothers and sisters with our Hispanic and Latino neighbors. Uh, that's the most important thing, and hopefully they'll also find Northwestern to be a place that's welcoming uh, for them. And fortunately, we've also had a number of students and families who have found Northwestern to be a great place for them. Very good. Well, Greg, thanks so much for, for being with us, and good luck with those Cardinals. That's the, other, that's the other book I'm going to read. I'd also recommend that to your readers. Uh, we, we the, the book I'm going to read on vacation, I told Gary before, I'm going on vacation today. And so my uh, uh, for my last birthday, the book I got was 100 Things Every Cardinals Fan Needs to Know Before They Die. <laughs> my uh, vacation reading will be a little bit different than my professional reading. Well, uh, you know, uh, it ought to be. You should try to love every Cub fan. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We love the Cub fans. We love the Cub fans. It's a good-natured rivalry. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Leslie, you listened to a, a couple of older fellas sit <laughs> here and talk back and forth. Welcome, and thank you for uh, being part of this podcast. And, and what did you pick up today from President Christie? Thanks, Gary. I'll leave out the baseball um, facts and the 100 oh, no. stats. I know. That didn't quite make my list, but maybe next time. <laughs> I took uh, three takeaways for qualities of, of great leaders from Um, your talk today. First, simply caring, right? The genuine care for your people, your staff, your employees, and wandering around, getting out there and and showing that care to those on the front lines, whether we see that in in retail and education, anywhere where you have people actually serving directly the people you care about most. It's important to to show that care to them and uh, support always. And with that, giving them great feedback giving them positive notes of encouragement uh, when possible, catching those good acts can mean a lot more sometimes than redirecting, um, which may be possible. Sure means a lot. I know I've gotten handwritten notes from my mentors and from President Christie himself, and it it sure does feel nice to feel recognized and and that you're part of that bigger mission, which thirdly, if you're doing those first things well, naturally you feel that mission personally. I think that's really, really important that that mission hits home in the grand scheme of things. And you know, this isn't the first time we've we've kind of touched on those personal stories 
right? That everyone's going through something, whether that's mental or emotional or physical. And that fits right in with a lot of conversations we've had so far, truly caring for people beyond what they're doing and what they're exporting in um, their job, but what they're going through. Their story and their narrative is changing. Just walking alongside of them and recognizing that can be really powerful um, in any leadership setting. What book did we pick up today? You know, I can test that demographic demand for higher education is maybe not the most riveting, but Nathan D. Graw does do a nice job of recognizing our changing demographics in America. And that's important for any educator to recognize and, and see how that may change in their classroom and how we can respond and serve the full kingdom of God well. So whether you're in higher education or any platform, here, that's here. a good book to, to be aware of. Thank you, Leslie. We thank President Christie for giving of his time and sharing his wisdom as we reflect on leaders that inspire and influence education. Thanks so much to all of you for listening to Transforming Education Leadership Lessons. You have many options for podcasting, and we appreciate you spending time with us. As a leader in education, you matter, and how you lead matters to a whole bunch of people that you serve on a daily basis. You were created for significance. As always, a special thanks to Leslie, Dan Robinson, and Mike Stokes for their technical help in making this podcast a reality. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, and please email me at gary.richardson at nwciowa.edu with your comments or suggestions. Our next guest in the coming week will be Dr. Ryan Weiss, Executive Director of the Iowa Department of Education. Until next time, inspire and influence.